A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Well, what do I do here? I can't um, walk away from a building. I own it. (laughs) You know, my superannuation fund owns it. I can't just get up and move everything to somewhere else. The east coast of Australia has experienced its fourth flooding in 18 months. A country famous for sunshine, beaches and desert is being deluged by torrential downpours. This is more than just rain. Within not even 24 hours, it started on Friday morning, was it? By Friday night, we were under. And it usually takes a week of constant, constant, constant rain, and we still don't flood. This time, Sydney and the northern part of the state of New South Wales have seen the worst of the floods. Many of those bearing the brunt are still suffering from past experiences. I haven't basically um, decked the house back out from last time. I haven't renovated, I haven't even got doors on the house. I've been to my mate's funeral who actually drowned. I've buried my mother's animals who drowned. Like, and then I go pick up the pieces. Like, we almost slipped and drowned. We spent on the roof five hours, like, watching just carnage. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Jenny Kleeman. Today... Australia's climate crisis, floods, fires and fatalities. I thought I'd ask a long-time Sydney resident to explain to us what it's been like. I'm Bernard Lagan, the Australian correspondent for The Times. Tell us, Bernard, what has been happening in Sydney we've had an exceptional amount of rain. This is running down from the wreckers and around the corner. You can see all the sludge from the petrol. And someone's car's just stopped there. In Sydney itself, we've had something approaching 28 inches of rain, which is around the amount of rain that London sees in an entire year. So that gives you an indication of how heavy this has been. And this has been so much rain in Sydney and its surrounds that some 85,000 people have been affected by this. These are people who have had to move or have been told to get ready to move. There's been something like 200 rescues conducted in floodwaters by emergency services and round about two to 3,000 homes absolutely flooded out and may have to be written off. The worst of it is that in some parts of Sydney, this is the fourth time 
this year that they have been flooded out. So that gives an indication of the increasing frequency and the increasing intensity of this. You live in Sydney, don't you? What has your experience been like over the, over the past few months? Yeah, I live in a part of Sydney called the Inner West, which is Inner Sydney, as the name suggests. We have been spared being flooded out. That hasn't happened. But practically, I can tell you that the footpaths and the pavers around my house have turned green with mould. It rained right through the Sydney summer. It is still raining as we are in winter, and it is forecast to rain right up to next summer. I have never seen a winter or a summer like the one we have been through. In fact, I can tell you a story about this. Even the animal life has come to believe they are living in a wetland. In Sydney, we have these birds called the ibis, which are a large white bird with a long hook bill. They migrated to Sydney from the tropics decades ago and have been living on or live on rubbish. Sydney is now so wet that in the parklands, all the worms are rising to the surface. They've reverted to wetlands and these birds have changed their behavior. They're no longer a grubby color. Their pristine white feathers have returned and they are feasting as they long ago did in the tropics. So your, your homeland has turned into a wetland. Are you feeling differently about where you live? Uh, well, um, well, sure. I mean, I think everyone's asking themselves, is this the new normal? Is sunny Sydney going to be wet Sydney in the future? That, that's the question. It's seriously affected the mood of people. You can feel it. When I go out for exercise every morning, I walk, have a chat to people, and the only thing they're really talking about is the incessant rain. And of course, what it means is that people aren't able to do the things that they have done. I mean, like, you know, a lot of people here play tennis year round. That doesn't happen so often. They now have to pick their days. There have been quite a lot of people admitted to the hospitals because of falls, because they have simply slipped over on the streets or on the footpaths. So uh, there's a range of effects. Tell us about what's happening on the east coast of Australia in general, because it's not just Sydney, is it? No, it's not just Sydney. I mean, in the very populous part of southeast Queensland, I'm talking about Brisbane and surrounding areas, over the last decade there have been intensifying thunderstorms and flood activity there. They now occur several times a year, to the point at which insurance in parts of southeast Queensland is becoming unaffordable for people. They are either underinsured or do not have insurance at all because the cost is now so much. We see massive hailstorm events in southeast Queensland very, very frequently. These are very destructive. They destroy, you know, roofs, they destroy cars. Similarly, we had very, very big floods in northern New South Wales in March and April, centred around a town called Lismore. So flooding isn't necessarily a new thing, but the frequency and severity of these floods really is. That's absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, parts of Australia have lived, lived with flooding for a long time. But the intensity of these things and their frequency clearly has increased. But it's not just flooding. I mean, I think the, you would remember the fires that Australia had a couple of years ago, our black summer. 
We're going to leave now. Yeah. How far? This house is burning behind you. The house is in the street behind you, mate. Behind you on fire. We're going to go. Where are we? The embers are just flying past everywhere. Don't know how I've still got hair because they were just, they were going everywhere. But once the fireball started, I said to my son, we can't, we can't keep doing this, we have to go, we have to go. We had all the cars all lined up, ready to evacuate, and a big fireball just came out of nowhere. And I was like, yeah, this is it. Lost, uh, you might recall that the figures that came out about a million animals were killed. An area the size of Portugal was burnt through across that summer in Australia. Some 16 or I think nearly close to 20 lives were lost, including those of firefighters. And thousands and thousands of homes and buildings were destroyed. They were the largest fires and the memory of most people. They were unprecedented, no question about that. And that was the point where I think for many Australians, they became aware that climate change was upon them. What these floods have done has reinforced it. Aside from climate change, there's a, an unusual weather system affecting Australia as well. That's right. This is called the La Nina. It involves warming ocean temperatures in the Western Pacific which typically deliver increased rainfall across much of Australia, along with cooler daytime temperatures south of the tropics and warmer nighttime temperatures in the north. And of course, La Nina has been at the forefront of what's happened in Sydney and what happened at Lismore as well. So this La Nina event has been going for around about uh, six months. And the latest forecast from the Bureau of Meteorology is that we can expect a resumption of the La Nina event over our summer. So we're going to have two La Nina events in quick succession. Add to that is that the climate change scientists do say that there is evidence that the frequency of La Nina events is influenced by climate change. Bernard, could you tell us why is Australia on the front line of these increasingly frequent extreme weather events? It's a complicated answer to that question. One of the main reasons would be that Australia has historically been a very hot country, so that any temperature change upwards has a vast effect. We are now in a situation in Australia where fire seasons last for 130 days. That's a month longer than they lasted in the 1970s. And with every fraction of a degree of warming, they will get longer, meaning little or no reprieve for our firefighters. The number of days that break heat records has doubled in the past 50 years. Heat waves are of particular concern. They are occurring more often and are more intense than in the past. In recent decades, more people have died in Australia in heat waves than in all other natural disasters combined. And some parts of Australia, particularly inland areas, are expected to warm faster than along the coast. So that gives you an indication of the scale of it. How concerned are ordinary Australians about the frequency of, of the rain and the flooding now? Yes, I think people are genuinely worried about them, and particularly younger people. Look, I have two teenage daughters. It's at the forefront of their concerns and the concerns of their friends. I mean, um, they look ahead and they are genuinely apprehensive about the future, about mm. 
how their lives are going to be affected by climate change. Will they be able to do the things which they love to do, such as going to the beach, playing outside, all that kind of stuff? Are there going to be constraints on what they'll be able to do? Are there going to be changes as to how they're going to be able to live in Australia? So, yeah, people are, um, I think, quite deeply concerned about climate change here. Coming up... Really, the world has changed for Australia. We've gone from a period of inaction on climate change to what I expect will be a period of great action on climate change. But first, a message from a colleague. I'm Mehreen Khan, Economics Editor at The Times. My job involves covering an extraordinary moment in the global and UK economy, where central bankers and governments are contending with runaway inflation, the pandemic and even a war in Europe. I get to pick the brains of policymakers to explain how they are helping businesses and households while preventing a wholesale economic meltdown. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's 
Let's turn now to the politics of, of climate change in Australia. The politics of climate change in Australia could hardly be more different than they appear to be in the UK. Climate change in Australia only emerged as a political issue in recent times, whereas, you know, the rest of the world has been debating this for 30 years. Australia, over the last 15 years, has been unable to reach an enduring consensus about even the core elements of a policy response to the climate change issue. There has been, on rare occasions, a consensus appearing to conform, and then it's uh, disintegrated. And it has been debate or controversy over climate policy, which has caused the removal of at least three prime ministers and one opposition leader in Australia. So this is a period we refer to as the climate wars, and I don't think they're over yet. So those climate wars, what was the war over specifically? The climate wars in Australia were over how best to reduce emissions. As you know, Australia is a country and economy based on mining. Coal mining is a very, very large part of that. The big mining companies were pretty resistant to the notion of moving away from coal as an electricity generator in Australia towards renewable energy sources, but also In the governing Liberal National Party, the Conservatives, if you like, there was a large group who had an ideological opposition to renewables. And I must say, for many of them, they did not accept the science of climate change. Five years on from the Paris Agreement, and it's a new Prime Minister spruiking Australia's climate credentials. We are acting now. We are achieving. Scott Morrison's virtual address to the Pacific Islands Forum, a consolation prize, after he was barred from speaking at tonight's United Nations-led International Climate Change Summit. Scott Morrison was regarded as something of a climate sceptic. He famously took a lump of coal into Parliament's question time in 2017 and waved it around the front benches. And told politicians this is coal don't be afraid don't be scared the treasurer knows the rule on crops it's coal it was dug up by men and women who work and live in the electorates and he was very resistant to even setting a zero emissions goal for australia which a lot of other western countries already did he did not want to do that he said that we will get to net zero emissions By other means, it doesn't have to be renewable energy. I guess I should, the point to make is that things have definitively changed now. First of all, Australia just voted in a new prime minister. Tonight, the Australian people have voted for change. I am humbled by this victory and I'm honoured to be given the opportunity to serve as the 31st Prime Minister of Australia. Tell us about who he is. So we had a general election on May 21st and the Labour Party won that election and the new Prime Minister is Anthony Albanese, who has been in Parliament since 1996. He's aged 59, about to turn 60. And he campaigned reasonably strongly on climate change during this campaign. That said, many people, or at least many people concerned about climate change, didn't think 
that Anthony Albanese's promise went far enough. They believed that he should have been aiming for about 70% reduction in emissions by 2030. He has said, I'm sticking with that. That's the policy that I was elected on. But I think that he's going to be under a lot of pressure in this first term to increase the goal. And that pressure will come from the large number of independents who were elected to the parliament in this recent election on climate change issues. The May election was known as the climate election, and the principal factor was that Anthony Albanese, the Labour Prime Minister, got elected on a policy of greatly enlarging Australia's emissions goal. But more importantly, I think, in this election was the rise of what we call the Teal candidates. Now, to explain the Teal candidates, they were a group of six women who had strong family links to the governing Liberal Party, the Conservatives, but who absolutely rebelled against the party's policy on climate change. They were all remarkably well qualified in their fields and they were united by one issue and that was climate change. And they were very, very successful. Most of them won. Mm. And so the government lost its most supportive seats in the House and the seats in which it raises most of its money. I don't think it's just a, a protest vote. I think this is a voice for change. I think this is a new phenomenon, actually. This is a grassroots movement where you know, we felt that the government wasn't listening to us, and so we have changed the government. So that was a, 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 a watershed event, really, uh, in Australia. To give you an example, the Sydney electorate of Wentworth covers the eastern suburbs and the eastern beaches. It is the wealthiest electorate in Australia. It was occupied by Malcolm Turnbull, who was Prime Minister. It was won in May by an economist called Allegra Spender. Allegra Spender, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. She's uh, age 46. She had never been in politics before. I think that climate change is one of the most um, important factors in terms of what is right for the environment, but it's also a huge economic opportunity for Australia. And, you know, you look at what the Business Council of Australia is saying. They're saying that we should do, we should take 46 to 50 percent reduction by 2030, because that is in the interest of Australian businesses. It's actually in the interest of Australian families um, and Australian jobs. They are the people, really, who brought down the government. And they will be where the pressure comes from in Anthony Albanese's first term to enlarge his climate change agenda. They've made it very clear that that will be their primary motive in the next three years, is to push the government on climate change. So really, the world has changed for Australia. I mean, we've gone from a period of inaction on climate change leading up to the May election to what I expect will be a period of great action on climate change. The Prime Minister himself, when he went out to the flood zones, he came out directly and said that the global failure to act on climate change had thrust these disasters upon Australia. It was his first visit to the region. He had been in Europe and he spent nearly half a day in the worst affected areas of Sydney. We know that the science told us that if we continued to not take action globally on climate change, then these events, extreme weather events, would be more often and more intense. And what we're seeing, unfortunately, is that play out. 
This is in many ways his first big test on, on home soil, isn't it? Absolutely. He got elected and he has been away for much of the time since he got elected and been criticised for it. But as he said, I mean, which overseas commitment could have I avoided? He had to go to the NATO summit, no question about that. And so he's now returned and walked into these flood zones. This occurred right on his watch and he has to respond to it. And he's been very upfront about the role of climate change in this, which you would not have certainly wouldn't have seen under Scott Morrison. Let's look now at the future. We know that in Australia, people really want to live on the coast, don't they? Do you think that's going to change? No, I think they, the population will be concentrated along the coast simply because it's very difficult to live too far inland in Australia. I mean, it's just too hot and it's getting hotter. I mean, people obviously do live out there. There are small cities in the inland, but most people prefer to live on the coast because it's cooler. Living too close to the coast, you know, right up next to beaches, is getting a bit more difficult in Australia. North of Sydney, there's some areas where houses are already collapsing into the sea. And one of the issues, I have to say, just as an aside, with all this rain we've had over the last few months, is that the fuel load for fires has built up again. The wet weather floods people out, but also causes a massive regeneration of vegetation, which then becomes fuel for more fires. What is going to change in terms of urban living here is that I would expect there'll be a whole lot more attention given to where we expand cities and what we do with houses that have already been built in flood zones. In Queensland, the government is already having to remove many, many houses and pay people compensation to leave certain areas which are blown to flooding. Residents caught up in the latest floods in Sydney made that point to Anthony Albanese. They want government funds to get out of there. And I think, you know, they've got a reasonably strong case given that Queensland has already started to assisting people out of flood-prone areas. You mentioned that people are generally underinsured or not insured at all. I mean, to what extent are these extreme weather events, climate change, caused, contributing to existing inequalities or differences between communities? Well, what we're seeing now in the wash-up from these floods, I mean, I think I mentioned there were some two, 3,000 houses in Sydney which have been rendered uninhabitable. You're seeing more and more people emerge from these places without a home and without their contents and without insurance. And they are saying, well, look, we had insurance But we got flooded out, you know, for the first time a year ago or two years ago, and our insurance premium went up and we couldn't afford it. Therefore, we haven't bought enough insurance or we haven't bought any more insurance. And so you're seeing this class of people arise who are very, very severely affected by these events and with no means to recover. And so they're turning to live in caravan parks and places like that. Some of them are even intense. And it's not just with floods. I mean, after the bushfires in 2019, many people lost their homes in southern New South Wales. They were also underinsured or not insured because of previous fires. And they also, some of these people are also still living in caravans and even tents in southern New South Wales two years after those fires Mm -hmm. hit. So you're seeing this almost wave of refugees, climate refugees, who are living in these circumstances because of the costs of insurance. 
And finally, Bernard, the cleanup. How's it going to happen? Who's going to be in charge of it? Oh, the cleanup here. Well, the government, uh, Albanese, when he was out at the flood affected areas yesterday, immediately offered a thousand dollar grants to people who are affected. And they will also be offered other welfare services, which they can access immediately. But as with all of these things, it's a matter of labour. You know, there are labour shortages post-COVID wow. here. And of course, the other aspect of this is that we are still cleaning up. After the March floods in Sydney, that's not over. But that cleanup is still going on. Uh, the cleanup resources have been diverted to northern New South Wales to the Lismore flood event of a couple of months ago, which, which is far from over. I mean, trying to get builders and, and tradesmen at the moment is a very, very hard thing to do, especially when so many are engaged in the cleanup already underway in northern New South Wales from the past flood. So do people feel like there isn't really any point in clearing up because they're still clearing up from the, from the last event? No, no, I think they, they want to get organised again. What they are saying is that we will clean up and then we will try and sell up and not return. Because I've had enough. You'd have to be an idiot, wouldn't you? It's all over. I'm going to move. That's what a lot of people in northwest Sydney are saying. They're saying, well, I'm not sure that I can continue to live here anymore because I've been through three or four of these events in the past year and I really just haven't got the capacity to weather another one. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, Jenny Kleeman, and my guest, Bernard Lagan, Australia correspondent for The Times. You can find all of Bernard Lagan's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer was Amy Leibowitz. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. <laughs>